How can agribusiness capitalize on the Opportunity Zones program? Find out next. Welcome to another exciting episode of the Opportunity Zones podcast, the weekly show where we interview Opportunity Zones professionals and experts from fund managers to tax advisors, from real estate developers to venture capitalists. If it impacts Opportunity Zones or the Opportunity Funds industry, we cover it here on the Opportunity Zones podcast. Welcome to the Opportunity Zones podcast. I'm your host, Jimmy Atkinson. If you're like most people, you probably equate Opportunity Zone investing with revitalizing blighted urban communities, but many of the nation's Opportunity Zones are located in rural areas where agriculture and farming produce much of the economic activity. Today, I'm at the office of Harvest Returns in Fort Worth, Texas. In July, they launched one of the first agriculture Opportunity Zone funds, and joining me is Harvest Returns CEO and founder, Chris Raleigh. Chris, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Jimmy. Glad to be here. Yeah, glad to be with you. It's always fun to do an interview locally here. I've done a couple of them, so it's, it's nice to meet another Fort Worth person who's interested in OZs. So, Chris, tell me about, about Harvest Returns. When did you start the firm, and, and why did you start it? So we came up with the idea for Harvest Returns in 2016, and, and the basic idea was people uh, want to invest in farms, but it's very challenging to do so. It takes a lot of capital, a lot of know-how, and there's an education curve. And so we created the platform to sort of re- take some of the friction out of the investment process, lower the minimums, and lower the expertise it takes to invest in a farm. Launched in 2016, put our first deals together in 2017, and we've raised uh, successful deals ever since. And now we are excited about launching the Sustainable Agricultural Opportunity Zone Fund. Yes, yeah, so the Opportunity Zone Fund came along after you guys had, had launched, probably, I guess, about a, uh, about a year after you launched, maybe, is when you first heard about the program. We'll get into that in a minute. Uh, I want to ask you more about the Sustainable Agriculture Opportunity Zone Fund that that you launched. Uh, But first, let me get a little bit more of your background. Chris, can you tell me how you got to where you are today and when did you become interested in agriculture? Sure. So I grew up in North Dallas, like a lot of suburban kids uh, my generation. I spent a lot of time eating TV dinners, watching TV, and kind of ate whatever my mother put in front of me. Didn't really have any sort of appreciation for food, how it was produced, uh, what was in it, or who produced it. And then after college, I uh, was commissioned as a naval officer. And as they say, I got to see the world, join the Navy, see the world. And so I traveled all over the place, um, all over the world. Been, been very fortunate and blessed to see to visit more than 50 countries. And one thing I noticed as I was traveling um, to some very war-torn and uh, poverty-stricken places was that people were reliant on food and people in other countries don't take their food for granted like we do here in America where you can pretty much go to any restaurant or any uh, supermarket and get just a huge variety of food. And in some of these countries, you know, they are happy to get whatever they can eat. And that means they're growing their food. They know where it comes from. They're often producing it in their own backyards or, or in the local community. And so it means much more. And so that kind of gave me a gradual uh, appreciation for agriculture that I didn't have. I also, you know, after I left active duty, I worked in uh, commercial real estate. I kind of got an investing bug for real estate at that point and worked in, in tech and in, uh, big tech companies here in Dallas-Fort Worth and in Florida and started uh, learning, um, seeing how those two things could work together, real estate and technology. So uh took that idea, that appreciation for agriculture, along with uh, 
investment and technology, put, put the three of those concepts together in a platform. Uh, and that's when we launched Harvest Returns in 2016. Harvest Returns giving uh, regular investors with uh, maybe not a whole ton of money, some access to, to some of these agriculture properties that they wouldn't have otherwise had access to. What type of agriculture does Harvest Returns invest in typically? And, and where are your properties located? And what's the typical size of these properties? What, 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 and what types of properties? What types of assets? Sure. So we do a variety of types of agriculture. Most people, when they think of farming in the U.S., they think of sort of a large-scale row crop farm. So you drive pretty much any, any place in the Midwest, South, uh, Western United States, and you're, you're going to see thousands of acres of corn or cotton or sorghum or wheat or you name it, conventional row crops. That's the vast majority of the produce or the the food that is produced in the U.S. is produced on these sort of large-scale industrial types of farms. We don't really mess with those types of projects. Um, we are more interested in the specialty side of agriculture, uh, whether that is organic conversions. There's a high demand, consumer demand right now. Consumer preferences are rapidly changing. So people are, are becoming more, unlike you know when I grew up, people are becoming more aware of what's in their food and how it's produced and where it's produced and who's producing it. So people want farm-to-table food. They want organic. They want grass-fed meats. They want non-GMO food. So all these types of agriculture are, are becoming more and more specialized to meet consumer changing consumer demands and because of that the way that food is being produced is changing and these types of operation be it uh, indoor agriculture um, hydroponics aquaponics that sort of thing it's capital intensive and the farmers that we speak to and we speak to probably a, a four or five different farmers every single week, they approach us for capital or are looking for flexible funding sources. Because quite honestly, the, the, the capital, the ag finance and banking system hasn't changed a lot in 50 years. It hasn't evolved to meet the needs of these new types of farmers. And that's where we see an opportunity to help be that alternative source of financing for farmers. And the deals we, we look at, uh, people that wanna raise anywhere between say a half a million and a couple million dollars in debt or equity we've done a debt deal and we've done several equity deals and these are investors or these are farmers uh, and farm business agribusinesses that want to scale their operations so that they can compete with some of those larger scale farms so they're looking for just like you might in the commercial real estate deal they're looking for equity investors to come in and help them scale up combine that with a, a, some bank financing to get a larger amount of uh, deal because these are not huge corporate farms. We're talking about mom and pop farms typically, and, and, and it kind of runs the gamut in terms of row crops or some of it's indoor, some of it's hydroponics. Yeah, so we, we do, um, yeah, that, that specialty indoor, um, we, most of our focus is in the United States, but however, we have funded two small deals in emerging markets or frontier markets, one in West Africa, one in um, Belize. Those both happen to be coincidentally cocoa farms uh, we do get a lot of inquiries from overseas and eventually we'd like to grow and, and be able to fund more of those because there's very li little um, opportunity for capital development in in these emerging markets yet that's really where the future of food production lies um, that said where our focus is primarily on on american farmers and family farmers and most farms even large-scale ones in the u.s are family farms it's just that it's it's tough for them to compete as as because with globalization that family farmer is not just competing with the the guy in the next county he's competing with the large-scale farmer in brazil or organic farmers in in mexico or the caribbean and we want to shorten the miles and 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 
help correct the trade surplus in agriculture in the U.S. And that shifts our focus now to your Opportunity Zone Fund, which will focus 100% on American farms. Uh, so let's talk about that a little bit more. Your Sustainable Agriculture Opportunity Zone Fund, you launched just a few weeks ago. And before launching this fund, your platform focused only on single projects. So I believe this is your first foray into a multi-asset fund, which is, which is a bit of a... Uh, interesting shift for you guys. What What is your fund's strategy, though? And, and maybe you can tell me and, and my listeners what makes it unique among Opportunity Zone funds. So, yeah, we were very excited when we started learning about lot this time last year, last summer, about the Opportunity Zone legislation and how it was evolving. Um, as we started talking to our farmers, we found out that some of them were on opportunity zones and didn't even realize it. And these are the same types of projects we would normally fund. Um, just as I as I mentioned, the the focus is sustainable opportunity or sustainable agriculture. Sustainability means different things to different people, but you know when you really look at it, it's it's projects that are are good for the environment, projects that have social benefit. Um, a big part of that is bringing rural jobs, uh, jobs to rural America. There are 8,700 opportunity zones, I guess, roughly. And according to the USDA, um, we found out 40% of those, so roughly, I don't know, 4,000-something, are in rural areas. So that is a big untapped resource. Most of the opportunity zone funds out there are focused on urban areas, as you said, commercial real estate. And quite honestly, they're betting on um, some some amount of gentrification to come in and, and bring bring up those areas. We're looking at, at these rural areas, and um, as most of your listeners know, I, there's, there's a big urban-rural divide in the United States. It's, it's cultural, it's economic, uh, it's geographic. There's just a large number of, of factors that, that create that divide. And so one of the things that we're excited about with this uh, Opportunity Zone Fund is to bring some of that urban capital, um, people who have those capital gains, into rural areas to benefit the, the families and the farms uh, that produce the food for the rest of us. Because uh, the vast majority, even though we do see some urban um, farming more and more, the vast majority of food is and probably always will be produced in, in rural areas of the United States. And what is the fund strategy exactly? How many, how many properties, I guess, will you invest in? Do you anticipate uh, how, much, how much money are you looking to raise? And, and what types of properties are you, are you looking at typically? Sure. So we're doing a $25 million fund, and we expect out of that, um, that amount, we will probably invest in four to five projects. Right now, we are sort of scrubbing through about 35 deals. The total value of that pipeline is about $275 million. So uh, we're, we're looking at you know eight or so percent of, of those deals. We'll, we'll perform some due diligence, and we'll, we'll narrow that down and and select these offerings uh, based on a variety of factors. Um, you know, the experience of the, the sponsor, the economics, uh, the way it, it, it balances risk in the portfolio, and the types of offerings that we're looking at or projects we're looking at are very similar to the ones that were already on our platform. So we're looking at uh, some controlled environment, indoor agriculture like hydroponics. We're looking at, uh, we're talking to a grass-fed livestock operator, one of the same ones we've already helped raise capital for expanding his business further. Um, things like timber and row crops, organic row crops might, or regenerative agriculture could be a part of it. Uh, generally, the returns from those those types of investments are lower, but um, it, we're looking at, at creating that balanced portfolio that's going to manage risk while still pre, uh, creating capital appreciation for the Opportunity Zone investor. 
I'm going to talk about your your indoor or controlled climate agriculture product. What, what does that look like exactly? What uh, paint a picture for me? I don't I don't know much about that. Yes. It sounds really interesting. I, I want to hear a little bit more about that. So you know, it goes by different terms: controlled environment agriculture, indoor agriculture, even urban agriculture. The, the whole phenomena has been going on in Europe for longer than it's going on here. But essentially what you're talking about is pulling a lot of the risk out of a, out of a farm by controlling some of those factors in producing the food indoors. And to where are those risks? Well, uh, weather and water consumption is the most obvious one. When you take like hydroponics, you've got a closed system. So you're, you're using the water consumption is much more, is much less than if you're uh, doing outdoor field based agriculture, the, propensity for pests and insects to infest the the crop and ruin the crops and disease is less. You're controlling it more. Um, because you can grow year-round, there's a lot of benefits there, both economic and uh, just in general. So you can grow food in multiple crop cycles. So um, rather than growing, say, if you're growing tomatoes one or two a year, you can grow several cycles of tomatoes per year. You can grow it closer to where it's consumed. So there's a concept called food miles where um, it's the amount of miles that food has to travel before it gets into the grocery store or on the restaurant or on the table. And the more you can reduce those miles, one, the less energy that's consumed getting the food to market, but also the food is fresher uh, when it gets to market or onto your table. And it's it's frankly, more nutritious. So there are a lot of benefits um, by doing this controlled environment agriculture, indoor agriculture. That said, it's capital intensive. So rather than buying a piece of land and, and um, preparing the soil and maybe putting in irrigation uh, with a typical outdoor field grown pro- project, you've got to take uh, take that same piece of land. You've got to build a, a greenhouse. You've got to put in sophisticated irrigation, electronic automated controls, uh, there's still a labor component you've got to do, and, and that is becoming more and more automated. Uh, but we're we're really bullish on the future of indoor agriculture, and we see more of those uh, types of projects springing up all over the U.S., and we're excited about including one or more of them into our Opportunity Zone Fund. Yeah, I would imagine that you could build those anywhere in the country. Might as well build build them in an opportunity zone, right? If you're going to do it for an opportunity zone fund. Yeah, that's exactly right. And that's some of the conversations we have with farmers who are looking at projects. And some of them see, have heard about opportunity zones or in, in, and know about it, but that others have not. And we're sort of steering them in that direction. Overall, how do you view farming and agriculture fitting into opportunity zone investing? So we see it as is a great way to diversify a portfolio um, in any event, whether it's in or outside an opportunity zone. And and you know the the sort of saying that goes around opportunity zone circles is you don't want to do a deal just because it's an opportunity zone, or you don't want to do a deal just because it's got favorable tax circumstances. You want to do a deal because it makes financial sense and any other benefits involved in investing in it. And we, we feel the same way about agriculture. So um, where it fits in a portfolio, uh, say compared to commercial real estate, and I, I have been and still am a commercial real estate guy, that there's there's a diversification um it's it's not such a cyclical market especially the types of specialty premium agriculture that we're looking at premium food products where row-based agriculture uh, a lot you know most people have heard that farmers a lot of the farmers in the u.s are going through some tough times and that's due to commodity prices tariffs um you know just weather events those, those sorts of things make it tough for the farmer the, the types of products we're looking at and the projects we're including in our fund do have some of those risk mitigate um, things like grass-fed, humanely raised livestock. 
people are willing to pay a higher price for that. And because they're willing to pay a price, a higher price, it's like a lot of sort of luxury items. It's less volatile to economic cycles, or in this case, commodity based cycles, the, the prices are going to stay high, even if the underlying commodity tends to fall. And the diversification that agriculture provides, you know, I, I really see three benefits to investing in agriculture writ large. One is just de demographics, the amount of arable land on the all across the world continues to decrease. The population continues to increase. The wealth of populations continues to increase. And as populations become wealthier, they tend to eat more, especially protein. So that is just driving the um, economics behind food production in the U.S. and across the world. The diversification that, that agriculture provides is, is pretty important for from a portfolio management basis as far as ha having... Um, an asset that is non-correlated with stock and bond markets in your portfolio, it makes it makes a lot of sense, which is the reason why you have pension funds and university endowments have invested in timber and farmland for decades now. And it's becoming sort of a, a new thing for the retail investor or the typical real estate investor. And then the returns are also very competitive with real estate. Uh, for our particular fund, we're looking at sort of a pre-tax benefit, 10 to 12% return we're shooting for some of the projects we do on the the um, platform already have higher than that some a little bit lower but it's it's kind of similar to what you might find with a, a real estate fund but you're you're able to get a little higher level of diversification and then you layer in the the tax benefit and your after-tax return shoots up a little higher even maybe uh right. i, I kind of see agriculture correct me if i'm wrong but agriculture and farming almost a hybrid really between real estate and business is that is is that fair to say you've got the 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 underlying value of the of the real estate the land but then you have a, a business operation on top yeah that's exactly right and we had this we are doing a business fund for you know your listeners i'm sure they they are familiar with the difference between real estate and business and our our fund is a business fund because we see the agribusinesses um yes there's that underlying value of the land and the infrastructure improvements makes sense from a opportunity zone regulatory perspective of you have to double the basis of the fund and by taking a raw piece of land and putting a greenhouse on it or creating a cattle herd on it or whatever you're doing to increase that double that basis within the opportunity zone um, rules is important but it's also yeah it's very it's very similar location is important location of market although unlike real estate you're you're exporting the product uh, you may be growing it inside an opportunity zone, but exporting it outside of an opportunity zone. And um, you're still meeting the rules of the opportunity zone, but you're from a business perspective, it just makes more sense. It's it's more of, you know, like a Google. Google works in a data center or whatever, but their product is consumed all over the world. But yeah, whoever owns that data center is making, making bucks. So just to clarify then, your fund isn't going to invest in the real estate directly. It's investing in the businesses that that make use of the land, and that, that I, I guess that's a lot easier to to meet the requirements because you don't have to pass the substantial improvement provision or the or the, the the new asset test. Is that right? That is that is right, and you know that's obviously the opportunity zone rules are are complex and dynamic, and, and you know we're waiting for the new set of rules. But um, yeah, we we found that investing in production agriculture businesses as well as uh, value-added agriculture processing facilities that, that take that raw product and convert it to something a little bit closer to the consumer, whether it's packaged food or um, hemp turned into textiles or CBD oil, that sort of thing makes a lot of sense for, for our fund, and that's why we decided to put it together that way. What type of uh, economic development 
are these businesses going to produce? Do you, do you anticipate the types of the types of jobs they're going to create? How many jobs that they're going to create? Just just within your fund, maybe you can cite one or two examples of of some of the deals that you're looking at in your pipeline. What 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 type of economic activity do, do these deals generate within their communities? Yeah, so you know it varies from deal to deal, but I'll, I'll give you an example of a, a deal we did that was not in the fund, but it's it's probably typical of, of the ones we would include. It was a hydroponic operation. It was a, a small town in Kentucky, and it is a town that they'd had a factory closed down, like this happening in a lot of small towns as, as some of that, that manufacturing moves offshore, and they had lost, I think, like 250 jobs. And so uh, our greenhouse operation was going to bring um, – 75 new jobs to the the town and that you know ranges everything from unskilled labor the harvesting side to um, skilled foremen and managers and job training opportunities and and um, vocational opportunities for the the schools and the neighborhood of, of that town so those are the types of economic benefit that we we hope to achieve with our impact investments and opportunity zones we're also looking at um, other types of impact whether that's environmental impact um you know some of the some of the producers we've talked to talk about the the carbon credits that their operation is producing because you know they're growing something and that's offsetting carbon consumption uh we talked to some you know native american uh farmers and 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 groups like that disadvantaged groups uh so so there's a lot of impact uh, beyond just the financial impact that one can invest um that those sort of intangibles when you in, when you invest in opportunity zone fund yeah, there's a there's a social impact, yeah. and there's also an environmental impact uh, with with your fund in particular as well. Uh, what, what do you see as being some of the biggest opportunities for you for Harvest Returns uh, as you get this ozone fund off the ground? For us, it's a way to take uh, the projects that we are already funding and put them together and, and get some scale and, and some rapid growth for the company, and, and as well as uh, alternative sources of capital. So, yeah, we're, we're and that's the same benefit that a lot of these opportunity zones funds are seeing where people who may not have ever invested in real estate or in our case may not have ever invested in agriculture. Now they have this opportunity um, to take those capital gains from selling their you know, Amazon stock or maybe they sold a business or whatever the asset they sold to, to achieve that gain and, and taking it and having that six month period or 180 day period to redeploy it into these opportunity zones and to then to reap the benefits of that from a tax perspective, but also from a, an impact perspective. Have you given a consideration to exiting these investments, you know, 10 years down the road? You talk to me a little bit about your exit strategy, because that's, that's really the necessary piece of the puzzle that, that you need to execute properly to, for your investors to be able to take full advantage of the program, the, that exclusion of capital gains on the back end. Yeah, and that's, you know, that was another reason it kind of steered us in this direction, because most of the projects that we look at in agriculture are, are sort of long term oriented projects. So whether you're doing just ro growing row crops, you know, it's, it's sort of a you've got some cash yields that are pretty modest, but then you've got the value underlying value of the land, which takes a, a long time to appreciate. That would be one example. Another example is uh, a development project. So you're taking a raw piece of land and you've got a two to three year period to build, say, a hydroponics operation, large scale greenhouse on that that land. And then once you get that going, it's going to start throwing off cash flows. And it basically becomes almost like a utility play where you've got cash flows. And at some point you can sell that to a private equity firm or you can sell it to a, 
another farm that's consolidating these types of projects because for the most part agriculture is pretty fragmented in the u.s this type of agriculture especially agriculture is fairly fragmented so there's opportunities for liquidity events at you know before at that 10-year point another example is just some crops take a long time to grow timber being one of them you know we consider timber a piece of agriculture where it's not you know you need that 10 years for the trees to mature and if you start with you know smaller trees that might be four or five years old before you can get that first cut and make you know it's 16 18 year point it's it takes time and it's a slow agriculture is a is a slow there's a whole slow money um investing agriculture group so it, it it works pretty well with opportunity zone it's not just slap up a hotel and and sell it and flip it yeah so actually the the 10 year plus hold kind of fits in well yes. and you're 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 anticipating you're gonna likely sell off these assets one by one yeah when you know we, obviously it's hard to have a crystal ball and look 10 years into the future but the strategy is to you know, sell off or refinance the assets to pull the investors out at, at you know the 10-year period or shortly thereafter good what have been some of the biggest challenges that you've faced so far with with getting this opportunity zone fund off the ground yeah, our biggest hurdle was probably the same as most of the fund managers, especially on the business side, is, is sort of watching these regulations uh, evolve and change. And we didn't want to launch until after this, I guess it was April, the, the last second tranche of rules came out. So just watching that and making sure as we sort of go through our, our investment opportunities um, for consideration in the fund, make sure that they're going to meet the OZ rules as as complex and dynamic as they are yeah absolutely yeah we had that uh that second tranche issued in april and the the hearing just a few weeks ago hopefully we'll get final regs here um in the next few weeks or so i guess uh very good well chris before we go i'll give you one last chance here for you to give us the business case for for agriculture investing i think you kind of hinted at this already a little bit so you may repeat yourself but one 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 last pitch to, to everybody listening uh what why should they invest in agriculture yeah so yeah i did kind of go over the three three pieces of why agriculture is important that that demographics that is ever present the diversification and just the overall returns but i think you know if you've got a portfolio and whether it's got stocks bonds real estate and you're looking for something a little bit um that that has all the economic benefits but also is important and food is important you know we everyone has to eat it's agriculture is the one industry on the planet that impacts everyone um everyone has to eat everyone has to wear clothes a lot of people drink coffee a lot of people you know there's there's products that are um kiss, consistent around the world that are all derived from agriculture and we take them quite honestly for granted so if you want to put a little of your portfolio into a very important uh asset a very important industry then then consider um investing in agriculture before we go, Chris, can you tell our listeners where they can go to learn more about you and Harvest Returns? Sure. Um, easiest place is harvestreturns.com. There's a drop down there of invest, and that's got uh, a link to our to our Opportunity Zone fund, some questions about it, and then you can register on the platform and, and access the offering documents and invest in you know, soup to nuts, review the documents, sign the documents, uh, invest, get do everything all automated or we can do it offline and then we're on social media and we put out a lot of educational products uh products because we think it's important for people to understand what before they invest and facebook twitter linkedin you name it we're, we're out there so harvestreturns.com is it 
Good. And for our listeners out there, I'll have show notes for this episode on the Opportunity Zones database website. And you can find links to all the resources that Chris and I discussed on today's show. And you can find those show notes at opportunitydb.com slash podcast. Chris, again, thanks for joining me today. I appreciate it. Glad to be here. Thank you, Jimmy, for the opportunity. That's it for our show today. A huge thank you to you, our listener. If you liked this episode, please rate and review us on iTunes. The Opportunity Zones podcast is produced by the Opportunity Database. Visit opportunitydb.com to learn more about Opportunity Zones and Opportunity Zone Fund investing. You can learn how to subscribe to this podcast and read more about today's guest in the show notes by visiting opportunitydb.com slash podcast. And we'll be back soon with another episode.